This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 62 The Warminster Thing Christmas brought more than what the small England town of Warminster had asked for in the winter of 1964. A series of strange events that lasted nearly a decade sent the town into a panic. After gaining national attention, the area became a hotspot for tourism and UFO activity alike. What started as strange noises, the mysterious occurrences became known as the Warminster Thing. It was in the early hours of Christmas morning in 1964. Mildred Head was abruptly awoken from a deep slumber. The sound of scratching and scraping could be heard coming from the roof above her bedroom. She lay there, half awake as the sound became louder. She then sat upright, continuing to listen to the sound as it intensified and became deeper. The sound went from a scratch to a thud, similar to that of large balls of hail as they beat down on the shingles that lined the roof. Alarmed, Mildred sprung from her bed to look outside through a bedroom window. She was surprised to find the skies completely clear. There was no rain or anything. At that time, The sound overhead turned to a deep hum that resonated, consuming the air around her. As the volume of the hum increased, Mildred found herself having to cover her ears to shield the sound. She stood there, still covering her ears as the sound slowly faded to a faint whisper after a few minutes. Later that morning, Marjorie Bai was making her way to Christ Church for early morning Christmas services. She had been running late that morning, and the city streets were empty. While crossing the street, she could hear the sound of faint laughter and cackling echoing in the distance. With each step she took, the sound became louder and louder. She stopped in the middle of the street as the sound started coming closer to her. She could feel her knees buckling underneath her as she held her breath. The sound became so loud, it was paralyzing. She fell to her knees as the sound vibrated around her like shockwaves. 
They pounded away at her head and shoulders, preventing her from making any further movement. She used every ounce of will she had to push forward. Eventually, slowly breaking free from the force that was holding her back, she then ran as fast as she could to the church. After arriving, she explained what had happened to the church congregation. It wasn't long before the news had spread around the town, eventually making it to the offices of the Warminster Journal. Arthur Shuttlewood, a local journalist for the Warminster Journal, received numerous reports of occurrences, similar to Mildred Head and Marjorie By. Each report made described a sound that seemed to emit from everywhere and became so loud it was nearly deafening and paralyzing. One of the reports Arthur Shuttlewood received was made by Roger Rump, an employee for the local post office. He also lived nearby Christ Church. He stated that on the same morning, he was awoken by a loud banging sound coming from his roof. The sound became so loud and intense that it sounded as if each shingle was being ripped from the rooftop and forcefully thrown back down. This went on for over a minute. After that point, the sound was replaced by a high-pitched hum. It rattled the floors and walls around him, before finally going completely silent after another minute. A short while later, at a nearby army base located at Knock Camp, just east of the town, another strange occurrence was experienced. An army sergeant was approached by several of his men, sharing their concerns after reading an article in the Warminster Journal. They explained that they too had been awoken by a strange sound on Christmas morning. The sound was deafening, and seemed to come from the skies above. The men described the noise as if a huge chimney stack had been ripped from the main block and then shredded to pieces and scattered across the entire camp. Alarmed by what they were hearing, they immediately rose from their beds to investigate what had been causing the commotion. They were baffled to find the early morning sky completely silent and still. There was no trace of anything that could have caused it. After that time, another officer at the same army base contacted the local newspaper to share an experience that he too had had. His only condition was that he would be able to share in complete anonymity. Late one evening, the man had been traveling back to the base. He was driving down the road and nearing a forest area called Callaway Clump when his car went completely dead. There was no power to any of the electronics, and the engine would not start despite the man's efforts to turn the key in the ignition. As he sat there, still attempting to start the car, he could feel the entire thing start to vibrate around and under him. The vibrations eventually intensified and became more and more rapid. The entire body of the car was shaking violently. He feared it would fall apart underneath him. Although, 
He could not explain who or what was causing the terrifying experience. The man started feeling a strange sensation on his forehead, as if something was forcing him downward. Despite how much he fought to move, he fell victim to its grasp. All of a sudden, the sound and the force holding him down were completely gone. Just as quickly as it came, it left without a trace. A few moments later, the car's engine roared to life, and the man was able to drive away safely. As the days progressed, more and more reports surfaced, all sharing similar details. One report spoke of a resident of the town waking to find their yard littered by a flock of dead pigeons. Upon further inspection, there was no obvious cause to what had been the cause of death. With the influx of news reports, all detailing the strange sounds, some also started reporting seeing strange lights and objects in the sky. On August 10, 1965, a truck driver was traveling near Callaway Clump when he heard a strange sound coming from above him. Unable to recognize the sound, the driver slowed down his vehicle. As he came to a stop, he watched as a glowing fireball was thrown out of the sky. The light quickly made its way in his direction, before turning at the last minute, disappearing into the dark abyss of the night sky. Later on that same night, Rachel Atwell was awoken by a loud droning sound that was coming from outside. She immediately jumped out of bed and raced to her bedroom window. Upon peering out, she witnessed a bright light that seemed to hover roughly 600 feet above the ground. Rachel continued to watch the strange light for some time. She stood, baffled as the light glowed and pulsated remaining completely still and never making a sound. After a few minutes, she could feel a severe headache coming on. The pressure built up so much, she felt as if someone was squeezing it as hard as they could. In an instant, the feeling ceased. When she looked back out the window, the object had also completely vanished into the night. Additional reports were made consisting of multiple eyewitnesses. The most notable occurrence was one that took place in the summer at Lake Shearwater, just southwest of the town of Warminster. One evening, a large group consisting of at least 17 members had decided to visit the lake. While swimming and fishing, the group spotted a large cigar-shaped object quickly descend from the sky. Shocked and caught off guard by what they were seeing, a few of the members of the group found themselves losing their balance and falling over. As with the other sightings, the object quickly fled the area with no trace that it was ever there, aside from the stories reported by those in attendance. The years came and went, and reports of sightings did not slow down. 
One evening in October of 1967, two policemen were out on patrol when they spotted a series of strange lights in the sky. As they continued driving, the light seemed to follow along with them while maintaining its distance. The two men felt as if it were watching them. It did so for nearly 50 minutes. Constables Roger Willey and Clifford Waycott witnessed what looked like a star-spangled cross radiating points of light in all directions. They watched as it dipped and zagged from each corner of the night sky. They found themselves having to speed up to keep up with the object, but could never fully get near it. At one point, the object became still. When the two men exited their vehicle to get out to have a better look at it, the object quickly flew away. Before it exited their view, the object was joined by another star-shaped, bright, and noiseless craft. After that, both the objects disappeared. Willie and Waycott couldn't believe what they had just seen. Questioning their own sanity, they decided to stop along a car that was parked nearby. The man in the vehicle confirmed what the two men had seen, further adding to their many questions. Warminster became an area of significance, drawing in many visitors from all over the globe. As news reports gained national recognition, Many flocked to the area to see if they too could experience similar occurrences. At one point in 1965, as many as 8,000 tourists visited the area. With all the attention and the reputation the area had gained, the economy bolstered as well. The once small town of Warminster had made a name for itself. As 1970 approached, the reports of the incident slowed down as did the traffic to and from the area. The once tourist-filled town known for its strange lights, sounds, and UFO activity had returned to its sleepy self. Despite the near-decade-long reports, the occurrences seemed to stop just as quickly as they began. Some still refer to Warminster as the UFO capital of the UK, as it is among an area often referred to as a hotspot for UFO activity. Despite this fact, the origin of the Warminster thing remains a mystery to this day. Welcome campers to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts, I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, the debrief. Alright. Welcome back. Yeah. Yeah. This, um, no break in the shows, but you were recently on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. That was nice. So it, it was is a nice bit of a to, welcome back for you. To get away, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, anyone who, you know, is listening will notice that Ryan is a bit under the weather. So just, uh, he's powering through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, bear with me. But you'll notice that, you know sexier than usual gravel tone in the voice oh yeah (laughs) especially on the story (laughs) right right yeah 
And yeah, the, I mean, the story I kind of slowed down and, you know, yeah, tried to kind of emphasize some words as well as yeah. I could <laughs> without dying trying the whole to, time. Yeah, trying so hard to enunciate. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I. I mean, honestly, as soon as we decided we were going to do this show, I started having like voice envy for people. Like as soon as I started recording stories, yeah. I started. You know, like, I would watch some old episode of Unsolved Mysteries or something, and you hear, like, Robert Stack narrating. Oh, and- I mean, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like, you know, I, yeah. I, I find myself sometimes, like, listening to myself, and I'm like, man, I wish I wish I just had a bit more of, like, a you know, better narrator voice or something. A little more, little more gravitas. Right, for right? sure. Yeah. Yeah, like, um, or, oh, what's the guy, the guy that does Dateline? Oh yeah, <laughs> he dude. He has a a perfect voice for that. That's fair. It's, That's yeah. fair. So well, yeah, you know maybe this week will be a little bit better in my part. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So the Warminster thing. Yes. Ter- terribly uninventive name. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know why. That's the the only clever title they could come up with, but it works. I mean, it's essentially like no thing was ever really seen right it was the Else, sound uh, and the ufo sightings, the sound right? and then the the sightings right yeah right. um and i have a couple reports that we'll talk about that supposedly possibly see some more uh okay. things but yeah we'll we'll eventually get there for sure interesting so the first thing i wanted to talk about was what the the first wave of this the like sort of sound the sound attacks I right guess you yeah. might call them experiences sonic like the sonic sound or sonic yeah. attacks whatever you want to yeah sure i don't really know how to refer to them other than yeah sound attacks so i thought of two things on that one there's in the last like 5 or 6 years it's come out that like governments have been experimenting with sonic weaponry right like all that shit in cuba where all the like diplomats were getting sick from and they said it was like experimental sonic weaponry all that yeah i mean that's which technically has been a thing for a long time right you know and that's what came out right that they've been working on it for decades so i wonder if this possibly could have been like some early some like early sonic weaponry so that was that's essentially one of the theories that kind of lines up with this is that um you know that the area could have been it could have been uh because there were there were of course like there was a military base nearby uh that they could have been working on some type of like sonic you know sonic weaponry and stuff like that uh but of course the Ministry of Defense denied any involvement that they hadn't been working in on, on anything like that. And that basically that they had no access to uh, technology like that or no technology sure. like that was in existence at the time. And they also went on to say that like some of the reports from the soldiers were weren't formally re- or formally recorded. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So, yeah, which, I mean, um, I don't, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I buy that just because, like, it's, it's of course, you know, the military is going to be saying that, but. Yeah, I think 
a little historical context is necessary here too, because this is what year seventy. So this was uh, the first initial was in nineteen sixty. Was it nineteen sixty four? Okay, Christmas Day. Okay, so this is like prime Cold War era, where the gov- governments did not reveal the technologies they were working with or working on. Like it was, it was not a thing to reveal your capabilities on like a geopolitical scale. It right, just for was sure. not. Everyone was p- holding all their cards as close to the vest as possible. So it would be normal for them to say, no, nah, we don't have yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely makes sense, too. Like, you know, they have to cover themselves and also yep. protect anything that they could be possibly working on, too, right? Yeah, and this is also the time period when governments were pretty unabashedly experimenting on the public oh, yeah. without their knowledge you know what i mean yeah like and you know most of those examples come from the u.s but the uk is never far behind no i mean they they definitely have their share of uh you know a lot of similar things that they have uh you know their government and military and everything is done that's yeah very very similar to a lot of the things that we do here right yeah so they have their definitely not far-fetched for sure yeah the second thing that came to mind was the hum which is a phenomenon that's been recorded all over the world like these places that there's just this unexplained like oh sometimes deafening humming sound yeah that no one explains like there's no there's no explanation for it it's i know there's one in detroit that was Mm -hmm. super big for a while people were hearing it come over the lake like over Lake Michigan. Right. It was like, the one from the, what's that island in Canada or whatever, like just across the border where you can hear like the, that weird, like kind of deep resonating yeah. sound that comes across the lake. Yeah. Like thrumming noises. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it all over the world, these have been reported. There's like one in the Pacific North. I think it's out outside of Vancouver is a, is a real popular one to like a talked about one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that also reminded me of this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a very common thing, especially when it comes to like the subject of UFOs and things like that too. Sure. Um, you know, and then also like, as we've talked about previously, I mean, which goes with this as well, like talking about like sonic weaponry and stuff like that, uh, you know, like these, sounds depending on frequency like not frequency but like pitch and things like that they can really alter a person's like uh ability to do anything i mean you know like you said can make people sick it can uh cause people to act strangely um yeah like the whole infrasound thing exactly yeah so which you know which i could see that definitely being something similar in this case that's like the um the infrasound emitted by like tigers when they're approaching prey, right? It causes them to like freeze. Right. Yeah. Like that's, things like that. That's a big thing that, um, that's a big thing also that like people in the cryptozoology world talk about with like people's reactions to like Bigfoot encounters yeah. or like, you know, even like dogman encounters. People talk about like being frozen in place or having this like feeling of dread or whatever. And a lot of, a lot of 
cryptid people will talk about like well it's probably they're probably emitting some infrasound like the way tigers do yeah but i was i was like kind of taken aback by the second account i think it was marjorie something marjorie by yeah yeah she heard the the laughter which disembodied laughter is never a good sign Right, yeah, but, that was uh, it was which is kind of an a kind of an odd way to describe the sound. Like I'm not yeah. sure if it was just because it was so far in the distance, the way that it kind of like echoed and yeah. echoed through like the city streets if it just kind of made it sound like a cackling laughter or something. She also could have like she also could have cuz she was out walking, right? Yeah, she was when she was happened. walking to the church. So she could have heard someone just like laughing loudly you know through their window or like oh, yeah, a block over or something and right as the sound came upon her you know what i mean and it seemed to all like sort of meld come together, together yeah that's that's yeah. true i mean that that's very well probably what happened i would say like yeah. that would seem most likely because she said she described it like kind of becoming like cacophonous and then like kind of blending into this right. like deep humming sound right yeah but i was what really like kind of took me aback about her account was like the fact that this sound was so powerful for her that it like kind of brought her to her knees like it stopped her you know yeah. what i mean like she couldn't physically move because of it yeah it had i mean it, it it was pretty much paralyzing and that was similar and like even the case of uh of or the first encounter um when we had mildred uh what mildred head like when she was looking out the window and then hearing the sound, like she immediately like basically cowered down and couldn't move because she had to like cover her ears. Um, you know, so I like this, this seems a bit more kind of forced, you know, Mm -hmm. um, just in the fact that it wouldn't let her move and she had to basically break herself free from it, which I think is another one of those kind of, you know, like the infrasound thing that could really just like, limit you from being able to do a lot or like you know being so consumed by the sound that you can't think properly or whatever else so like i I think that could have a lot to do with it like beyond the assault on the eardrums like not to throw out a science alert or anything but do you realize how close how close together sound waves have to be to actually have like a physical to be felt physically like that is a dense sound you know what I mean? Like, imagine the way, like, you know, speakers on, like, a sub bounce Yeah. to the sound, right? Like, having that kind of effect, that kind of physical pressure on, like, a, the human body, that's, like, an incredibly dense sound. Yeah, of course. And, I mean, something like that would be nearly paralyzing. Like... Yeah. I mean, just think to of, like... covered in it? Yeah. Think of, like, if you literally had, like two like speakers in like a sub you know like yeah. on each on each ear yep. imagine that like loud like that would i mean i could see that literally bringing you to your knees like you know like yeah it could be enough to definitely do some damage yeah that's it's kind of scary yeah because it's like sure. you know it's one of those like invisible enemy situations like especially if you don't see the source you know what I mean? Right. Like you don't have any idea where it's coming from or why it's happening. It could definitely be terrifying. And that's how the majority of these first inc- like in- incidents 
encounters, occurrences, whatever you want to refer to them as, that's that's how they all played out. Like they didn't actually see, you know, these things yeah. in the sky until a little bit later. Um, you know, and then they would hear some sounds and they would also see like a craft and things like that. But yeah, you know, I mean, the scary the scariest thing I think I just thought of, like in that situation, not knowing if it will end. Yeah. I mean, it, like, yeah, that would be awful. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, because if you have no idea what the source is or why it's happening, like, my first thought, maybe it's just the, like, neurotic in me, but, like, my first thought would be, like, is this ever going to end? Yeah. Like, I think, like, that could go on long enough to maybe, like, blow out your eardrums and then it's not even a absolutely. problem anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah. But at a certain point, you'd be praying for it. Yeah, you know I mean, yeah, end? without a doubt. Yeah, that'd be terrifying. It'd be, it would definitely be terrible for sure. Yeah. So the military reports that started coming down, I like, and I asked earlier. You mentioned that some of the only some of the military reports were officially documented. Right. They said essentially most of the reports weren't formally. Like, weren't formally reported. So, it was more so, like... They just had a conversation about it. Right. I don't know if it would be conversation or if it was more, like, hearsay or something like that, right? It was, like, second-hand um, information. Yeah. So, you know, like, I, I assume it'd probably be a combination of the two. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of these reports also went to Arthur Shuttlewood, um, who was notorious for embellishing... Uh, in his articles, extremely right. to extreme amounts, um, you know, and he was also very easy to be convinced to believe in certain things and report on them, and you know, like this, it, it turned into this fashion. whole thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. So he had he had a, a notable bias. You're saying right, essentially, and a lot of people also consider him being not not a great source. To begin with, and he's the one that reported on the majority of these cases to the to the Westminster Journal okay. or Warminster Journal. Wow. Yeah. You know, funny story. Um, the first time that I posted the preview for this episode, I put I, like I built the whole graphic and posted it, and realized that I put I put Westminster instead really? of Warminster. <laughs> yeah, and had to pull it down and replace it. That's pretty funny. I know yeah. uh, as I was recording the story, I found, I I know I at least said Westminster a couple times and I had to go back and redo it. Um, yeah. I don't know why, just like, yeah. I mean, I instantly think of, you know, Westminster Abbey. Right, yeah. And all the That's history fair. around that. Like, it's just, I wasn't even familiar. I didn't know Warminster was a place that existed until this story. It's in so. Wil- Wiltshire, England. Yeah, Wiltshire. Wiltshire. They have great names over there. Right, I know. We're lacking over here, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we have lots of... um, I think they probably think the same way about all of our cool, like, names that are derived from Native American language and names. You know, they don't have any of that. I mean, yeah, that's true. That's true. I literally live in a town with a street called Kickapoo. Right. (laughs) So. Yeah. Where's your Kickapoo, UK? That's the bulls in your court. Oh, it's a Kickapoo. You what? 
We have a kick a pay. Yeah, almost definitely. So the the next the next encounter was the guy whose car failed, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he was so that was the one um another uh, another soldier. Um okay. he was driving back to the base and basically was passing this area um and ended up seeing the what was it the the light, like the orange light that kind of came yeah. came directly at him. Um, and then just you described like, it like a fireball, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so as it was coming out of it, like immediately, like diverted course and went off, and like at that point, you know, like his car started again and everything was fine. But yeah, as he saw it, like his car failed, he couldn't get it started. You know, like yeah, just running into a lot of problems and no, like none of the electric uh, electric yeah. stuff would work and or anything like that. So, you know. I hear all the time in these um, UFO reports, these encounters where people's cars just shut off. It's a super common thing in them, right? right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but I hear people comment all the time that like, oh, maybe they have like EMP capabilities. And I, I'm not 100% certain, but I'm almost positive that an EMP strong enough to actually do that like to actually affect electronics the way we it's you know depicted in pop culture right um it doesn't just do it for a minute it destroys the electronics that's fair like they they don't work again you know what i mean so it has to be i you know i don't like when people turn ufo stuff into like gear talk yeah you know it like bums me out i don't like I don't give a shit about listening to people talk about like propulsion systems for a half an hour, <laughs> but like it, it has to be something other than that. Yeah. Especially I, in the, in the sixties, seventies, like cars didn't rely on electronics very much. You know what I mean? Like a lot of those are like mechanical systems. They're not, right. they weren't electronic at that point. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's honestly, it's hard to say. I don't know quite where I stand with all of that. Like, I buy into it a little bit, yeah. you know, to a degree. But I think there's definitely more to it than that. I think there, like, there has to be something else that's being emitted. Um, you know, maybe not like specifically like a, a mass EMP or something like that, but something. It's hard to say, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, because you're speculating about a science that's ostensibly, you know, out of our capabilities. Of course, yeah. Right. So, so who knows, right? Yeah. If if you're, you know, into the idea that it's extraterrestrials and that they have this advanced tech, there's really no way to, you know, to know See, what that, they're capable yeah. of. And that's that's kind of kind of where I lean. Like, is I mean, there could be something else there that. You know, we don't even have any idea of it, you know, like right. just chalking it up to one thing because it makes the most sense. Yeah. Because when you get into that, you're talking about like technologies that we might not have the technology to create the technology to create that technology. Right. You know it's what I mean? Technology. Like, if we're way behind, then there's no way to even speculate about it. Yeah. About for what sure. it could be. It's like you know, speculating about Wi-Fi when we were working on the telegraph, you know, like yeah. we're a few steps away from understanding that that's even a possibility. Maybe one day we'll know. Yeah, maybe. You 
That's that's what I hope for. Yeah. But yeah, his okay. his case was uh you know a little a little strange. I mean, obviously it would uh yeah, it would be pretty alarming like you're out there alone and your car just stalls and you can't get it started and you see this like fireball that's yeah. You know, basically being like thrown from the sky and yeah, that would that would be rough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like anytime just imagine the scenario. Anytime anything is thrown from the sky, that's not good news. Right. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Um but his was the beginning of like the legit UFO sightings. Yeah. Yeah, right? and like, like the the thing that also happened with his was that like not only did the car stall he couldn't start it, but it started shaking. You know, like yeah. it was shaking violently with him in it too. So like you know, I mean imagine imagine that as with everything else. Like I think at that point I probably would just get out and run away. I wonder if that was the hum. I don't know. Maybe he was interpreting it as his car vibrating around. Yeah, him. that's possible. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And when you're in that, like, locked in that fight or flight or freeze right. moment, yeah. like, who knows, like, how you're interpreting the stimulus around you. you yeah, know what I, I mean, because that would, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, I mean, especially a hum that can kind of rattle or vibrate, you know, an area around you. Yeah. I'm sure it could rattle your car that you're sitting in. I wonder if the first woman who experienced the sound, if she mentioned anything about, because she was standing in her window. I wonder if she mentioned anything about the hum's effect on, you know, the things around her, like maybe the glass in the window shaking or, you know what I mean? Not that I found. So, yeah, it was... I know, like, her initial one, I believe, was reported as uh, the first sound sounded like uh, the scraping of, like, a tree branch or something, like, um, you know, being, like, scraped across, like, the roof and stuff, so. It was, like, just enough commotion to get her attention. Right, exactly. And then it picked up. Before it, yep, exactly. Okay. So then we get, like... A flood of UFO right, sightings, and that's that's right? where we get a lot of the a lot of the sightings and everything. And like, interestingly, a cigar shaped one. Yeah. Oh, there's right? there's actually Which a couple one? couple different depictions of the craft, um, which we'll kind of talk about here in a minute. But yeah. like that's where we started. We got into Rachel Atwell, where she saw the uh, that like bright light, um, you know, that hovered roughly 600 feet off the ground from our bedroom window. You know, and then she also started feeling like headaches and stuff like that coming on okay. and felt that like pressure build up in her head. There was so much that like she felt like someone was literally squeezing her head. Could also be more sound stuff, right? Exactly. That's, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was, I was particularly interested in the cigar shaped craft that was seen because that was not all that common for the sixties. Right. So that was the one, the first, so I guess the first instance of that being seen was at Lake Shearwater. Um, and that was where that group, the group of people were basically at the lake, you know, doing their, their thing. It was a summer evening and they see this just cigar shaped craft that, uh, you know, just kind of comes out of nowhere. Dude, that would, I don't even know how to like, how to understand what that would be like. You know what? I can't even begin to, to see something like that. You know, like when we had, um. Jeremiah from Bigfoot Society, when we yeah. had him on for a fireside chat, he talked about seeing that massive craft that floated like real slow over his house. 
him and his dad saw it. I think it was wasn't it him and his brother, and they were driving back. I don't know. It's it's been a while since. Yeah, <laughs> we've done so many. I think maybe. Regardless, yeah, maybe. But like, just to see something that like. I, that would be like life changing. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean. This thing, like they described it as literally like quickly descending from the sky, coming in their direction yeah. enough to catch people off guard, where they literally like lost balance and fell over. That's crazy. Yeah. So I mean, that would that would be incredible to see. First of all, but yeah, that would be. It would be crazy at the same time. Shocking, right? Extremely I mean, that's, shocking, right? It's the kind of stuff that makes you reconsider what it is to be a human. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. You know? Without a doubt. You know, which, yeah, I, I really liked that, at least that encounter, because it was more notable and it was enough to, like, yeah. really kind of set things in motion. The other yeah. one that I really liked as well was the um, the policeman, the constables, uh, Roger Willie and uh, Clifford Waycott. Uh, so basically, they were out on, out on patrol and see this like star shaped craft in the sky like with didn't you say it was cross shaped yeah so this so the first one was like a star spangled shaped was the way that they described it in an article so yes okay. it was essentially cross shaped but the way that the lights went it like went from all directions and made it look right. like this like almost star um star spangled shape so i like yes. when i like when the like religious imagery gets mixed in right with <laughs> yeah. the stuff i mean for real because that's like that's prime you know the way i think about this stuff which is that it's at least half created by the mind of the observer yeah so like sure. i i don't know they were they the ones also who described like feeling like it was seeing them back yeah so basically they saw they saw it as they were driving um and it like continued at their pace as, as they were like first driving um and i think at like one point they're going like 70 miles an hour and this thing was just keeping up with them but it was yeah. always just right in front of them so like they felt like as if it was watching them because it was staying with them the whole time um in the article that i read that uh we can i, I can always get a link that we can post but basically yeah. they said that they they went upwards of 90 miles an hour and this thing kept up with them the whole time, but they could never get within 400 feet, uh, yeah. kilometers or um, meters might've been meters. I'm not sure because <laughs> this is also written in miles per hour. Um, okay. you know, so it was a little strange, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like they could never get any closer and that was, that's usually a good indication that you're not reading a primary source when it takes place in the UK and it's all in miles and feet. <laughs> Right. Well, this was posted <laughs> yeah. uh, in the UK, which was kind of weird because it was posted uh, in the 60s. Okay. So, yeah, yeah it, it just, it was, I, I found that kind of strange, but still, regardless. Yeah, that's weird. Um, but yeah, like, and it got to the point where it stopped and they got out to, like, try to look at it. And that's when yeah. the other one flew in and the other one was more, more cross shaped, like, more distinct. Okay. I, I always like that, that, like, mental interaction between the you know the experiencer and what they're experiencing yeah that, like conscious contact stuff of course that yeah and that's that's so common i i always like to run into a new story that involves it yeah so this one i i thought was neat just because 
of the second one that kind of came in. And then, of course, yeah. after that, it was out of sight. Um, and then, of course, they like they came across this guy that was on his uh, his way to uh, like he was on holiday and he was going to towards like the the Warminster area. Um, and he was sleeping or sitting in his car. I don't remember specifically, but like they came up and they asked him like, Hey, like, did you see that? And he confirmed whatever they had seen. Yeah. You know, and just because it's just so they could make sure they weren't crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. That's gnarly. Right. So then the town like gets a tourist boom. Yeah. So I was reading an article that said, um, I believe it was in August of 1965. They have uh, they had upwards of 8,000 people that descended on the town. That's crazy. Yeah, which That's, is really nuts. I mean, this is like the height of the height of ufology. Really, is in the 60s and 70s, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I can definitely see this becoming like a go-to spot. Yeah, for sure. And at the same time, Arthur Shuttlewood, the journalist, he was also hosting like these massive UFO watch parties. So where they would get like big groups of people out in this area and everybody would get together to watch for UFOs. Yeah. Which is actually pretty cool too. Like, yeah. Why isn't that still like a, you know, a normal, (laughs) normal thing. Oh, it's still happening. I mean, I I know it's still happening, but we have to go out to the Southwest. Yeah. That's like a a pastime out there. Yeah. Always in the wrong part of the country. That's, yeah, unfortunately. That's the way she goes. <laughs> so I, I was wondering if, because sightings continued to roll in, right? Right. Like reports of of lights in the sky and, and whatnot. I was wondering if you think that this could have been sort of kept up by people hoping to keep up the tourism. And again, and that lines up with another theory, right? So... A lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people blame this on mass hysteria. Sure. Um, you know, and basically, in turn, being a means of increasing the town's revenue and their status. Yeah. Um, and basically, you know, with with Arthur uh, Arthur Shuttlewood, um, he became somewhat of a well, and he was a pretty national celebrity at that point because he wrote a series of books on the incident and then the UFO occurrences as a whole. Um, you know, which for that area helped to increase, you know, its recognition and everything as well. So that is, you know, that is a possible thing, which I think honestly, just as a lot of places we've talked about, like, I think, uh, like the Virginia area like that, they ended up posting like the, what was it? Like the statue or the water tower that was the, the, saucer yeah. or whatever it was yeah and so they I, had the little statues of aliens all over the right town. exactly yeah. so i think like yeah. any area like this is going to milk it you know i i yeah. think it's inevitable right and they should I, I agree i agree why why wouldn't you i mean like it exactly. bolstered their economy for you know almost a decade yeah uh you know still having people come through and of course still to this day they still have some people that come through just because it is an area that is a hot spot yeah. Um and this is about what was it like 15 minutes from Stonehenge. There's yeah. of course ley lines that go through the area like, you know, like I sure. mean it's a pretty massive spot for a lot of activity. The Midland region in the UK is so full of weird shit. This is the same place like Charterhouse 
right, took place exactly. is close to here. And um, uh, what's th- I had another one, um, but there are a ton that we've covered. Several that are in within this same like mm-hmm. you know hundred mile stretch. Yeah, yeah, that are reasonably close to this. Yeah. Um, on the note of paratourism, I got some sad news recently that the Kelly Little Green Mendes is no longer a thing. Really? Yeah. That's a bummer. They, um, they obviously they canceled in 2020 like everyone did. Right. And then they just, they're not coming back. They're not going to do it again. I mean, it's probably hard, hard for like that small area to be able to put something like that on yearly, but I feel like it would bring a lot of tourism, you know, a lot of people to the I, yeah. area. I think a lot of, a lot of those awesome little festivals are like passion projects for of individuals, you know what I mean? Who like spearhead them and make oh, yeah, them happen? Without a doubt, I think so too. So, like, it's impossible to know, you know, what personal things that whoever was running it went through, mm-hmm. you know, around that time period, and maybe change things up, and well, it's not viable. That's for them just anymore. like in this situation, you know, like as the years progressed and it got later to the end of the decade, basically, um. Arthur Shuttlewood, he kind of stopped because at that time he was releasing his books. He was doing a lot of lectures, hosting these like mass UFO watching parties. And he eventually like had some health problems and had to stop. And like, so it stopped bringing some of that too because a lot of people were coming because, you know, he was bringing a lot the of people to step back. Yeah. Um, you know, so it that, that def- definitely does make a lot of sense, you know, that that would definitely have an impact. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm of a mind that even if he did exaggerate some of the initial accounts, that those exaggerated accounts could definitely have triggered legitimate experiences in people. Oh, I, I agree. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree for sure. Yeah. Um, which I actually have a couple a couple of encounters that I want to talk about, um, yeah. you know, which uh, I guess I'll throw out some, some information first of all, and then okay. we'll uh, go over a couple of encounters because we'll get to... A couple things that involve Shuttlewood, um, okay. and then some things that he like reported on, uh, like personal reports that he had talked about, like in uh, one of his books as well. And so, some crazy, crazy stuff actually. So, just to just to throw this out, this has not been one hundred percent confirmed, uh, but there was, I believe, it was like April of nineteen sixty four. Um, there was supposedly a first encounter with like this like strange sound uh ufo stuff that was seen by hilda hevitage um she was essentially said to be like the first person but again it was never 100 percent confirmed okay. um, but she had seen a craft and heard a noise the craft was described as cigar shaped um and she described it as it winked and blinked it was various shades of golden yellow and covered in bright lights it had no beams okay. nor rays and it was completely silent and she immediately said it was a ufo no doubt about it yeah. nothing she it was a ufo she saw yeah that's fair so i mean <laughs> right yeah exactly so again i don't know 100% of the authenticity to it um you know it just yeah it was in a couple things that kind of came up so that that encounter supposedly predated the others. The Christmas Day one, right? Yeah, they okay. kind of started them all. So, but this is months right. before that. 
Interesting. Maybe it was like a dry run. Maybe. Yeah, that's possible. So now, as we were talking about earlier, like the different varying shapes of the craft that like people would see. Um, yeah. Some people said that they had seen cigar-shaped craft, uh, like pyramidal crafts, um, okay. like the star-shaped, the cross-shaped. Um, of course, like saucer-shaped and oval-shaped. Um, but okay. like the one thing that was always consistent is everybody always said it was completely silent. Um, and sometimes they were seen alone or in a group of multiple crafts. Ironic that it comes along with this like sonic attack, but right, everyone sure. describes it as being silent. That's interesting. I guess it's like, almost, people are separating the two things. I was going right? to say, yeah, because it's almost contradicting, right? But I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's because if I like had the the sound experience and then I saw a craft, I would I'd assume be like, that's well, that what it obviously is. came exactly. from that, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Now uh, Arthur Shuttlewood in his in his book The Warminster uh, Mystery, he described the colors of these crafts that people would see. So like these okay. balls you would see, like these because they're they're of course spherical crafts as well. Okay. Um, and that was the pretty popular thing, like the orange glowing ball or the fireball, like different things. So yeah. he described in his book that the colors were based on speeds. Um, it was essentially white when it was motionless, golden or yellow when it was slowly moving, red when it was accelerating, or blue or green when it was at its highest speeds. Okay. Uh, which is uh, which is kind of a, a cool way to look at it. Yeah. You know, in my opinion, like... Yeah, just because it kind of gives you an idea of, like, if you're seeing, like, these multicolor things, like, you know, it kind of gives a, you know, just an idea of what what to be looking for. Almost like they're, like, bending the light spectrum around them. Right, exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. There was, uh, hmm. there was actually a photo that was taken by a guy named Go- uh, Gordon Faulkner. He was 21 th- uh, at the time. He was a factory worker in Warminster. The photo was taken on August 29th of 1965. It was essentially just a typical flying saucer, silver metallic, and he gave basically the photo and the negative to the the newspaper because he didn't want any recognition for it. Right. Did you find this photo? I I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I I definitely have the photo. I was going to say, I I couldn't remember if that was one that uh, that you had posted or not. So, yeah, I'll make sure that we have that. Now, of course, we talked about the pigeons that were all found dead in this yard, right? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. kind of just fast pace through the, the rest of like these random details. Yeah, um, yeah. There were also a lot of other animals that were affected. Uh, a lady named Joan Brown had reported that her cat ended up being sick after hearing the strange sounds. Okay. Uh, Nora Hollick's cat awoke her in the middle of the night, needing to be let out so it could run out and hide in some of the nearby bushes. Okay. I, I don't know if she, that's what it was causing it, but that's what she thought. Uh, there were reports of a cat <laughs> dying of shock after being exposed to the sound. And Did then, they do like a post mortem on the cat to find the I, evidence. No, these, of I think these are just their owners assuming, like, yeah. oh, you killed my kitty. Um, yeah, yeah. And then there was some crazy reports of mice being burned and found in holes in the yards where the sound <laughs> was heard. Jesus. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So now, so now we have to think about. aliens that aliens against mice. <laughs> yeah. For Humans sure. are just caught in the crossfire. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, and of course, like we've talked about, like, you know, kind of getting into the theories and a little bit of that. Um, like yeah. the sonic sounds, uh, you know, working on sonic weaponry was one of the biggest ones. Um, they've also attributed some of the, like the lights and the noises to nighttime firing exercises. Yep. Essentially the blinding flashes and shockwaves of artillery explosions on nearby training grounds could explain how the birds and other wildlife had been killed, leaving no real cause yeah. of death. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Shockwave, I mean, a shockwave would definitely kill yeah. a group of pigeons. For sure. You know what I mean? Right. Flying yeah. in like the general vicinity if it's, yeah. Yep. If it's impactful enough for sure. And of course, like the mass hysteria, things like that, of course, like banking on the subject. Uh, there was a local yeah. man, David Holton, um, had spoken to n- numerous national news outlets and publications, had lied and a- exaggerated some of the events that he had supposedly also been involved in. So this is okay. another thing that causes people to kind of like, you know, kind of shake their heads and question like, yeah, the whole this thing. Is, right. Exactly. Yeah. Now, some of the so some of the things that like where it gets really interesting is, of course, we've talked about police. We've talked about uh, some of the military but uh, council member Charles Hud, along with uh, several other members of the of the council or uh, that group, reported seeing a soundless silver cigar-shaped object in the sky that passed in front of them. The object then spread and stretched into a long poker of white fire, then glowed red and exploded silently, with the flash of light splitting down the center, spawning six red orbs that spun silently for a period of time before returning silver. And flying away. So this was a group of people who saw this. Yeah. So this was the council member, along with uh, along with like a pretty. Uh, I think it was like a group of four or five people, maybe. This honestly, either they saw an incredibly elaborate fireworks display, <laughs> or this is like the wildest UFO description I've ever heard. Yeah. Because that is I, insane. I suppose that's possible, right? That's I can't believe I've never heard that before. Honestly. Because that's like... That's a lot of steps. Yeah. For a UFO I mean, sighting. So as we as we get into a couple a couple of these other encounters that we'll again we'll talk about briefly. We're gonna we're gonna talk more about multiple crafts or lights or however you want to call them yeah right because yeah i mean the the one with the council member like that was very in-depth of what like what happened i mean it it exploding down to the point of them seeing it like or i guess stretching the point where it turns into like a poker thing that explodes and cuts down the middle and separates into like six you know six balls right yeah it was really really unique for sure and a lot of details to remember also. Right. Because I would exactly. imagine that happened fairly quickly. Yeah, I mean I would I would think so too, you know, so hmm. Okay. And you have more? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have more. Like I said, I'll try and okay. I'll try and get through these pretty quickly. Uh maybe paid maybe focus on the more notable ones. Uh but yeah, there was yeah, there was another on. report of uh someone seeing six balls of light dancing in the sky that happened a couple of days after that incident. Um In October of 1965, there was an employee of the water department named Annabelle Plowman. She was driving with her fiancé, and they were approaching a railway bridge near uh, Hatesbury when they noticed a figure hunched over on the bridge with its legs sprawled out. 
they had to swerve not to hit the person. Um, you know, and initially assumed it to be a drunk or like a homeless person just like passed out on the, the bridge. Bridge. Sure. So they then stopped and the fiance, John, he ran back to check on the person to make sure that they were okay. Um, however, they were nowhere to be found. They had completely disappeared. He like checked all the around surrounding areas, down by the water, everything. Okay. That's almost like a ghost sighting. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, so they said, all right, you know, just chalked it up to maybe, you know, maybe like military was doing some testing or something. I don't know. Like it was <laughs> general weirdness. They, yeah. Just try to try to chalk it up to whatever. So Annabelle yeah. finished driving her fiance home. And then after that, she drove back. And of course she neared that same bridge again. Uh, this time there was no man, but there was a bright orange ball of light. As she neared it, okay. she could feel her car being repelled away, and her headlights started flickering. She also noticed a vehicle that was parked on the other side of the bridge that was unlit and circular in shape. Okay. At that time, the orange ball quickly flew out into the road and turned a bright red color before shooting off into the sky. When it Whoa. did so, it left behind two figures standing in the middle of the road. Once again, Annabelle had to swerve not to hit anyone. And she even described, like, I came so close I had to have hit, like, uh, you know, their shirt or their trousers or something like that was how she right. described it. Um, but she had to swerve not to hit anyone. And she described the figures as being, because uh, it was, of course, dark. So she said that they were dark. Uh, she was able to recognize a nose, uh, essentially a nose with dark eyes that were deep sunk and wide spaced. Their outfits okay. glistened, un- glistened under the moonlight, similar to Frogmen. Okay. So, now, to piggyback off of that, in January of 1966, similar Frogmen were seen again. A man was riding his motorcycle when he spotted three figures disappear into the brush near a lake. The man then witnessed a flying saucer ascend from over the lake. Uh, the man described the figures as being dressed in gray with very white... Uh, they were very white with white faces. Uh, they had noses and widespread eyes, but no mouths. He described them okay. as frogmen, similar to us, but shorter, with big shoulders, large heads, and thin legs. Did any of them have a magic wand? <laughs> because this is very like Loveland. Uh, no, not not that I found, so yeah, right. It really is very similar, like always seeing them like scurrying off the side of the road. Right, and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I thought that was pretty cool. Now, one of the most notable ones I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about here. Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, it's essentially a twofer. So, okay. I love a twofer. Always. Who doesn't love a twofer? All right. So, in 1968, a man received a strange phone phone call inviting him to an area known as Heaven's Gate, at a specific time and a specific date. The man okay. accepted. Um, then brought along his girlfriend or his wife or whoever she was, his female companion. Um, and when they arrived, they watched a UFO descend and unload roughly 12 dozen four inch figures. Okay. The figures then grew to normal size and proceeded to shake hands with the man and the woman. The man was then invited to come and see their world by agreeing. He would have to leave his lady friend back and agree to being shrunk down to fit into the UFO. His lady friend waited for him for eight hours before he returned. Okay. (laughs) 
All right. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I don't even really know what to say about that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't. Has he ever given an account of the eight hours? <laughs> not that I could find anything on. <sighs> so maybe How? like he was forced not to say anything or like agreed not to. I don't know. But yeah, just like either that or he's just an asshole. He, that who, too, right? who does that? Like who sets that story up and just doesn't give any I know. of the he, details? Like, he didn't deliver it all there. But like you hear, Epic failure. you've heard of at least you know we, we've heard of some cases where these aliens UFOs are described as actually being really small, like and these figures yeah, yeah. being really small, and of course like the ability to shrink and go to normal size yeah. or whatever else, right? Because some of the some of the extraterrestrial crafts that have been spotted are like you know just a couple feet across, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So which you know like that's that's possible. But yeah, I really want to know what actually happened. Yeah. I mean, how do you not? I mean, that's, I find that so upsetting. Right. I know. I know. All right. Like, was that like 20 years for him? That eight hours that she waited on him? That's a good question. Right. Yeah. All I know is she waited keys in hand for him to return for eight hours. What a dick. Yeah. Also, he she could have just went home and you know and watched a movie or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, she's devoted. Clearly, they have like telephone capabilities, so they he could have just you know rang her when he got back. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So he sounds like an asshole. He does. He does. But that's that's all I have on that. So, all right, we're gonna talk Arthur Shuttlewood one more time before we kind of okay. close up and you know close up shop yeah. here. So okay. Arthur Shuttlewood claimed to receive more than two dozen phone calls from people who claimed to be natives from the planet Anestria. Okay. Um, one was by a person named Callison. They were a senior spacecraft commander. Um, one by the name of Trillisian, the queen of Anestria. And one by the name of Celeric, which was an English interpreter for the aliens. Important. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, <laughs> he talked to these three people more than two dozen times. They had visited Earth and decided to reach out to Shuttlewood, being that he was a journalist, and hoped to use him to make their calls public and their information public, right? Sure. So sure. they had information that could help humankind. Warnings of the misuse of atomic power concerns for pollution in the waters and worries of disfigurement when coming in contact with radiation to name a few Shuttlewood immediately assumed the calls were hoaxes however in May of 1967 he was contacted by a fourth Anestrian this time the alien called to complain that Shuttlewood had mislabeled or misrepresented the previous calls as hoaxes Shuttlewood then challenged the alien to see if he was real he requested an in-person interview. The alien, of course, agreed and arrived at his doorstep within seven seconds. Of course. They proceeded to meet for 90 minutes, of course, going over more details on how to save humankind and on all of that before right. wrapping up and they were done. Yeah. The alien had a hard out at 730. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. 90 minutes. Yes. Yep. No, but he was there. He was there in seven seconds. How can you explain that? Man. I just wonder why he had to go at that time if he could travel so quickly. Right, I know. Like, see, 
<sighs> okay, so was this stuff in one of Shuttlewood's books? So, yeah, a lot of this comes from yeah. his series of books that he wrote. Okay. So, one of the most notable this is, is like, the Warminster Mystery. Yeah, this is like full fan fiction, like territory. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I have to agree with that. Um, you know, but the same time, I don't know. It's like filled with the standard fare, you know, like don't blow each other up, take care of the environment. I mean, of course, that's that's like, how it all all ends up. Yeah. Like, watch yeah. this video and watch all these, like, disasters that are going to happen. That's you if you don't get your shit together. Like... Yeah. You know, I generally have a positive opinion about hoaxers. But, um, I find it, like, pretty insidious to, like, <laughs> add in the details of, like, well, I thought this was all fake, so... I, I did this extra measure to make right, sure it was exactly. real. Yeah, no, he had to meanwhile, go that extra step. Yeah. Meanwhile, anyone, you know, sensible who's reading it is like, you're the hoaxer, not the person calling you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no doubt. Yep. So I, I thought that was worth mentioning. Um, yeah, you know, Because of this is all through throughout that time period. Um, you know, and we didn't really talk about, like, actual physical beings really because those weren't ever really talked about outside of some of these like i guess hidden gems yeah yeah i see i wonder if the guy the asshole who was gone for eight hours i wonder if he could have corroborated like yeah i went to anestria right yeah that was it right yeah yeah i mean i assume that that's if if this is all tied and if this is a thing we'll, we'll say if it's you know if it's a thing i assume sure that that he was he was working or talking to the anestrians the the guy that shrunk right. himself down and like yeah. the honey we shrunk ourselves or the kids thing <laughs> the kids I'm, man that like that last bit just kind of bummed me out <laughs> <laughs> apparently we should have quit while we were ahead yeah, no, I, I liked it. I thought it was funny. I th- like I said, I, I felt it was yeah. worth mentioning for sure. I, I want to like those stories so much because they're so like fanciful and like, oh, of course, you know. But like, God, I feel like they just like detract from from most of the because like a lot of the experience, a lot of people's anomalous experiences, I think, are legitimate i consider the vast majority of them legitimate even if they're like drawn out by other hoaxes or if they're drawn out by you know i think that if someone has an experience and they talk about it in the newspaper and someone reads that newspaper it can trigger an actual legitimate experience in that person Mm -hmm. without it so i it takes a lot for me to discount one but when you get into the people like talking like this and like Corey good and all those like the type of stories that are like I went and I became like a galactic officer in this you know what I mean like yeah. they're just like writing really bad Star Trek fan fiction I mean, I, I also dig the shit out of that stuff though because it's like it's amusing and then like there's like there's this like this deep like part of me that really wants that to wants buy to into real. it I want it to be yeah. real like you know, because I want, like, somebody to know, and I want to stumble upon something that's like, oh, yeah, finally, like, now I know, or, you know, like, See, this is I actually think, all really cool and whatever, but... 
I think that's why I don't like it is because it triggers that same thing in right, me. Right. Yeah. Or like part of me wants it to be real, and that part of me I want to like kick in the face. But sometimes <laughs> you know, like, like quit it. Some of these things are so far fetched and so silly yeah. that you have to take it as what it is. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. like obviously. I don't buy into that. Like, you know, like sure. as much as, like I said, I would love to, and I think it'd be fantastic, but like, yeah, I call yeah. bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I try to, I try to do the like thought experiment thing, like just live in it for a minute. Like yeah, it is real, you mm-hmm. know, but like that stuff for some reason, just is, I find so challenging yeah. to do that with. For sure. I agree. I don't know. But th- I mean, this was a great story though. Like what a crazy flap, like, series of yeah. crazy encounters and yeah i mean almost the sound thing too really sets this one apart almost an entire decade worth of just crazy like occurrences yeah. in this one little area yeah so, i like yeah, it it's really it has cool. almost like a it has almost like a skinwalker ranch vibe yeah, to it true. where it's like this range of weird shit happening over a long period of time yeah i mean it was clearly not just the sounds not just the craft like it's yeah, a whole slew of things. Yeah, good story, Ryan. Thanks, thanks. I good enjoyed story. It as well. And I want to take another moment to thank you for powering through because I know you feel like absolute shit right now. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate. Try not to let it show. It's all good. No worries. Yeah, you've done a great job. Honestly, thanks. I'll take it. I'll take it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I think uh, that wraps up episode sixty-two. The Warminster Thing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And and trust trust in the unknown. unknown.